Last night around 9.30, I got a panicked phone call from my mother. Sue, she said, are you preaching tomorrow? And I said, yes. And she said, well, I thought Bellacord was coming to your church. I talked to Ben Berge tonight after their concert, and they're coming. You see, this group performed at my parents' church in Blooming Glen last night. And I said, yes, Mom, I'm preaching, and they're singing. She's like, oh, as though she thought they should have the whole service, and my sermon was not. So obviously you impressed my mother last night, and you have impressed all of us here. Thank you for sharing, and I'll try to make this brief so that you guys can sing some more. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Both of the stories that Valley and Daryl read to us this morning from both the Old and the New Testament involve two unnamed women, two widows, in fact. Both of these widows were at the end of their rope, one very clearly on her deathbed, preparing for her final day, perhaps, for, for her and her son to die. I thought a lot about that widow this week, wondering what it would be like to be preparing for your very last meal, to be that sick, to be that tired, to be that famished. And then we have the widow in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, going to the temple to put in her very last only two coins into the treasury. She had given everything she had to the temple. And yet both women gave so generously, so seemingly without hesitation, We know that when Elijah asked the widow in Zarephath that she does not hesitate to share her food with him, and again, it's difficult for me to imagine. But perhaps her attitude was, well, I'm going to die anyway, so what's giving him an extra piece of bread? Whatever the reason, Elijah boldly asks this woman for food, And for her obedience, Elijah assures her that she would never again have an empty jar of meal or an empty bottle of oil as long as this drought in the land continued. And as we know from the story, that's exactly what happened. She kept getting food. Her generosity was rewarded, and instead of going to her death, she went on to life. But the Mark text doesn't tell us as much. And I invite you, as always, to turn in your Bibles with me to Mark, chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. It's a small text, but a text that has a lot to look at. And and Jesus is teaching the crowds here. You see, this is at the end of his ministry, soon before he goes to the final days before his death. Some people would say even in Mark, the end of his public ministry. And he's teaching to beware of the scribes. You see, the scribes in those days would wear these really long, flowing robes, usually made out of linen, sometimes made out of very expensive wool. And they would walk down the streets, and it was common courtesy of anybody, when a scribe would walk by you with his flowing robe, that you would stand up and greet him, no matter what you were doing at the time. 
Or when a scribe would walk into the synagogue, there were always the best seats of honor for the scribes to be sitting in the front. Or at a banquet, at the banquet table, there was always the place of honor for the scribes. So these scribes kind of, well, kind of maybe had an ego boost here because people respected them and they had these long flowing gowns that highlighted their place of honor. But then Jesus says a very quick phrase in there that I think is important. Not only did they walk with their long robes and they were greeted with respect, but they devoured widows' homes. Now, widows were at the mercy of society in first century Palestine. They had no male counterpart often to care for them, to make their money. And so unless they had a male relative that would take them under, they often were on their own. And it was often Jewish leaders, the ones that Jesus is describing here, that would force guilt upon these widows to give up much that they had for the temple, so much so that sometimes we would call it today that their homes were foreclosed upon because they had given everything they had to the temple treasury. You see, in general, unlike the Sadducees, the scribes were not, as a rule, wealthy people. They were dependent upon the gifts of the worshipers, the gifts of those around them giving to the temple to make sure that these long, silky, linen robes were being made and worn and such and such. So some of the scribes exploited the esteem in which they were held to abuse the generosity shown to them by others. It's easy to get angry at those scribes in the first section of the text. I don't think any of us really like showy, ostentatious people, especially when they are supposedly people of God. That's where we often get the words hypocrite coming to mind. But do we remember that not long before the disciples had been thinking similar thoughts, just chapters before, wasn't it the disciples who were arguing who would be greatest among them? And just two chapters before, before the disciples were arguing who would sit in the place of honor next to Jesus in glory? Perhaps the, perhaps the scribes and the disciples weren't so different. And then Jesus switches gears in Mark here, or Mark as the author switches gears, and we find Jesus sitting in the temple, watching the money go into the treasury. Now this seems a bit odd. We don't normally have somebody, I don't think Jim Haverstick watches everybody drop their money into the offering plates each morning. Uh, it's a bit unusual for us to imagine that, but in the temple at that time, that was a very common thing. There was usually somebody overlooking the treasury givings because there were different thing, categories in which you could put money. And so somebody was there to kind of oversee it and to kind of watch. And so it wasn't unusual for other people to be standing there watching too. And so Jesus wasn't doing anything atypical here except taking note. And he saw the widow put in all that she had. Now, asking and reporting how much people put in the Sunday morning offering is not something that we are very used to. 
I debated long and hard about asking you to take three minutes right now and turn to the people beside you and behind you and tell them what you've put in the offering in the last month and listen to what they've given in the last offering. And you're all sitting there, is she going to do it? Is she going to do it? But imagine if I would. What would you have to report to each other? Would you be willing to be honest? It's not something we often do, and I wonder why. It surprised me about 12 years ago when I was in graduate school at Penn State. One of my best friends was visiting me over the weekend, and we went to church that morning. And she saw me put my morning offering envelope into the passing offering basket as it came by. As it came by. And after church, I presume because we are good friends, either that or because she's very nosy, she said, how much money did you put in the offering this morning? Well, because she was a good friend, and usually I'm fairly open about these kinds of things, I told her, $75. She then proceeded to ask me how much I was making as a full-time graduate student with my only source of income being my teaching assistantship at Penn State. My gross income was $720 a month, I said. I explained to her without hesitation that each month when I would get my money, I would write out my check for $500 for rent, which included utilities, and then I wrote my check for $75 to the church. And somehow I managed to live on the remaining 90-some dollars for the month for food and other expenses. I was managing, I said. And she said, but don't you think that God would think it would be okay if you didn't give any money to the offering for these two years? I mean, when you're making so little money, God doesn't really expect you to give. Does God? And without hesitation, I told her no. Maybe it was that mother who loves Bellacord, but she was the one who always said from day one, no matter how much I earned, the first part of that earning, at least 10% went into the Sunday morning offering. And as my income has increased over the years, so has my percentage of giving to the church and to other charities. But the difference between my giving of my $75 and my $720 income a month is that I didn't give all $720 in the offering. I gave what I felt God was calling me to give and also what I thought I could reasonably live on, even as a graduate student. It was tight, very tight. I bought no extras those years, and I lived very simply. But I obviously survived. But the woman that we find in Mark, the widow that we find in Mark, wasn't giving her final, her, she wasn't giving 10% to the church treasury. She was giving every last penny she owned. Imagine now if I were to ask you to think about all of your bank accounts, your savings accounts for your kids. I want you to think about any money you have stashed at home and piggy banks or savings accounts, um, for the adult, adults, your IRAs, your stock portfolios, whatever you have, what 
it be like to take everything you have and put it into the offering next Sunday? Every single penny, no holding back. Imagine emptying it all out for a Sunday offering. And that was what this woman was doing. Now, at first reading, our hearts go out to this widow, giving all that she had for the sake of the temple, and we quickly assume that Jesus is telling us to do the same. And we could get excited about this kind of passage, especially in November, the month of Thanksgiving, when we are thankful for all that we have, or perhaps when our fiscal year is coming to a close at the end of the year, and Jim Haverstick is saying, preach it, sister, preach it, because we need to meet our budget. But when we look closely at the story, it's not a story of superior piety of the widow who gave her last two cents. It is a story Jesus is drawing attention to us to learn from. You see, Jesus is not making a subjective critique about the woman's behavior. He's not lauding her sacrificial behavior. He's not putting her up on a pedestal and saying, you too should give everything you have. He instead points out to the disciples that the two small coins that she gives are worth more than the gifts of the rich people who gave so much more but sacrificed so little. And just prior, Jesus condemns the value system that motivates her actions to feel as though she has to give everything. And Jesus condemns the people who have conditioned her to do so. And so this passage appears to be more of an attack on a religious system rather than a proclamation of giving all that one has to the church. What kind of a religious system requires that a widow gives everything that she owns so that the religious leaders are able to live lives of wealth and comfort? Now, we can't sit back and say, well, this is aimed to the Jewish temple of first century Palestine. These words are aimed at every religious practice that masks egotism and greed. Jesus is pointing out the system of oppression that is happening right in the sacred temple walls. But surely we aren't living in such a place. But many of the scribes whom Jesus condemned in the early verses also thought they were doing what was honorable, what was good. Perhaps they were too caught up in the system that they felt they had really little control over what to do. The condemnation that Jesus offers here is not only for those who are aware of the situation, but also those that benefit from such a system. Thus, condemnation for such systems can go very deep. Now, the woman's giving is bittersweet. Her piety and personal sacrifice, in some way, are to be applauded. I don't know how many of us could actually do what she did. But the question begs, what is the cause of her poverty? And what will be done with her two small coins? And what will happen to her now that she has everything given away, that she has given, as the Greek translation is, her whole life? Unlike the widow of Zarephath, we don't know what happens to this woman. This poor widow is a fitting symbol 
for a temple and a city that will soon lie in ruins. Yet for us reading this, knowing that a few chapters later in Mark, we will see Jesus himself be willing to give his whole life, giving everything he had for the sake of evil in the world. Now, I admire the faith and obedience of these two women, their willingness to give all they had, be it to a stranger or to the temple. Their generosity is beyond measure and is actually very, very humbling to me. We don't know if they felt obligated to give because of their gender, when, men, when a strange man would ask, they felt obligated, or because of the pressure from the scribes at the temple, or just because they were not very good at saying no. But regardless, they gave all that they had. And for whatever reason, that takes courage. And yet I don't think that God calls us to give every last penny of our belongings to the church. Jesus didn't applaud the widow. He pointed her out to the disciples as an example. An example of how the temple treasury was not perfect. How our churches today are not perfect. Jesus is making a point of imbalance of the status between the scribes who display their wealth so grandly and the woman who gave all that she had. When some people have too much and some people have too little, the kingdom of God is not present. We don't live in a perfect world, neither did Jesus. Perhaps these scribes were obeying the law as best they could, but when they got so caught up in their world that they forced those around them with so much less to give every last penny, something is wrong. Yes, this is a story of generosity. It is a story that encourages us to give freely, but not because of the widow's generosity with her two pennies. It is a lesson from what the scribes did not do. They did not care for the widow in the way they should have, as one who is less fortunate. In fact, they ignored her. No one should ever be forced to give their final two pennies to the church treasury. Shame on you, scribes. And shame on us when we do not care for those around us. Perhaps we, like the scribes, are too drawn into our current life that we miss those around us who are, in fact, giving all that we have or they have. Now, hopefully, when you arrived this morning, you were given two pennies. I'm sure you're sitting there wondering what this is all about. And hopefully, as the scripture was first read, you began to get a clue. I want to encourage us this morning to not so much look at the widow in the story, but at the two coins. The coins represent more than money. They represent faith and belief and how they must be lived out in our lives in concrete acts and not solely by rituals that no longer have meaning or religious power. Emily Towns writes that powerless rituals do not call forth deep acts of faith from us through our witness in the world. The coins represent faith-filled offering found in presenting all of who we are and all who we hope to be to become of God for service to the world. 
When we view the coins in that regard, the coins no longer become an offering of our money or our tithes. It's not so much the act of giving and receiving that's important, but the coins remind us that we have the act of being. How do we take what we have to offer, our two coins, and offer them to this world? We have much to offer. And Jesus reminds us by foreshadowing his own willingness to give up all he had. We have much to offer to the world through Christ's sacrifice. We have ourselves, and this isn't something that we do lightly. This is something that takes our all, our being, not as a matter of guilt or life-threatening sacrifice, but out of love and mercy and generosity. Caring simply for ourselves while we care for others around us. If we become those two small copper coins which are in your hands, we must live our lives in such a way that our offering is truly shared with others. This passage is considering not so much the wealthy and the poor, but it is calling us to put in all that we have, all that we have to live on as people of faith. And so, people of faith, what possibilities do your two coins have for you today? What will you do with your two cents? Amen.